0: This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most powerful women.
1: We're really promoting an enabling environment that increases women's economic empowerment by reducing barriers and enhancing protections in policies, laws, regulations, and practices.
0: We feature women who are breaking barriers and shaping the future of foreign policy, national security, international business, and development. I'm Beverly Kirk, the director of the Smart Women's Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. The 2X Women's Initiative at the U.S. International Development Finance Corporation has grown a lot since its launch just two years ago. The initiative is part of the Trump administration's broader Women's Global Development and Prosperity Initiative, better known as WGDP. 2X began with a goal of investing $1 billion in women-owned, women-led, or women-supported enterprises around the globe. It achieved that goal and has a new one, invest $6 billion in these enterprises. I spoke with Charity Wallace, the Development Finance Corporation's Managing Director of Global Women's Issues, about the projects being funded and about the importance of women's economic empowerment. Charity Wallace, thank you so much for being here on the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. Thank you, Beverly. I'm so thrilled to be here. Well, for those who may not know the background, can you explain a bit about WGDP and 2X? And we should also remind our listeners that the Development Finance Corporation used to be known as OPIC, the Overseas Private Investment Corporation.
1: Yeah, that's right. Actually, the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, or OPIC, was DFC's predecessor, And the BUILD Act is what established the U.S. International Development Finance Corporation. We call it DFC, which really merged OPIC and the Development Credit Authority, which is a small lending arm that was part of USAID. So the BUILD Act actually doubled the lending capacity to $60 billion and calls out 2X, which is our Global Women's Issues Office, as a mandated and core priority of the work that we do at the DFC which is really terrific. It just shows the commitment that we have towards gender lens investing. And just for everyone's awareness, the DFC is essentially America's development finance bank. We partner with the private sector and and really the idea is to bring economic prosperity and stability to emerging markets around the world through the transactions that we do. So we have projects in over 100 countries and we're bringing private sector solutions to some of the world's largest development challenges. And we know that actually, if we want to drive economic growth, we can't do that unless we empower women, which is why 2X is such a core and priority to the DFC. So 2X was actually launched by my predecessor, Katie Kaufman, who I think you spoke to previously, and it was launched formally in March of 2018. And really it's to address the many challenges that women face in the emerging markets and developing countries. And they face it in reaching their full potential and fully participating in economies. So the interesting part that I found when I came to the DFC was that when 2X was launched, they set this audacious goal to mobilize a billion dollars over five years. But when it was launched, there were only a handful of transactions that would have actually qualified to be 2X deals. But when they applied the intentionality around gender lens investing, We've been able to surpass the initial billion-dollar goal within the first year. And just this last year, we um, announced that we've mobilized over $3 in the last two years and have set a really new, great, audacious goal. So to date, actually, DFC's closed 100 2X deals, and we have over 110 in our pipeline. And 2X, to your point, when we're talking about WGDP – X supports the goals of the WGDP, and that stands for the Women's Global Development and Prosperity Initiative. And that was launched in um, February of 2019. It's a whole-of-government approach to promoting women's economic empowerment. And so really, the goal of WGDP is to reach 50 million women in the developing world by 2025. And there are three pillars of focus within the WGDP that the 11 interagencies work towards and collaborate together to achieve. So we have a, the pillar one is women's prospering in the workforce. So that encompasses workforce development, vocational training, and skills training. And the goal of that is to increase women's global labor participation and advancement in the workforce. Pillar two is focused on women succeeding as entrepreneurs. And the emphasis there is to enable entrepreneurs to have access to capital, markets, networks, and mentorship. The DFC actually works very closely in this area because we're the ones that are able to provide the access to capital through our investments. And then Pillar 3 addresses women enabled in the economy. So that really concentrates on removing restrictive legal, regulatory, and cultural barriers, So we're really promoting an enabling environment that increases women's economic empowerment by reducing barriers and enhancing protections in policies, laws, regulations, and practices. So typically, DFC has really focused and supported on Pillars 1 and 2 primarily, but this year, the focus of WGDP is Pillar 3, and we're identifying opportunities for us to use our tool, which is namely Finance – to encourage and influence the changes of laws that will benefit women around the world.
0: And I want to circle back to a couple things that you mentioned, gender lens investing. Talk a little bit about how you define gender lens investing. And also, let's expound a little bit on the barriers that are in the way when women try to raise capital to either start a business or grow a business that they've already started and, and have had success with. Sure. So when we think
1: about gender lens investing, it's really applying an investment strategy that looks at whether or not women are entrepreneurs. So it's women-led or women-founded businesses. If they're in leadership positions in the sense of if they're a certain percentage of the senior leadership or women on the board. And also when we think too, we think about employment. So we're measuring percentages of women in the workforce How many women are in the workforce or are benefiting from the investments that we're doing that will enable them to have really well-paying jobs? And it also relates to consumption. So we think about the products and services that specifically or disproportionately benefit women. So those are the things that we're applying as far as our gender lens investment. And as you said, there are some major barriers that women face in raising capital for businesses. So women-owned businesses actually represent 30% of small and medium enterprises, which are the largest job creators in emerging markets. But women only represent a fraction of the total credit market. So there's a $300 billion shortfall for women with access to credit. And this is really because banks require collateral that men control, primarily. Banks also hold biases that women are higher risk borrowers. And sometimes women lack financial literacy that keeps them out of banks. But actually data shows that women are consistently better credit-worthy borrowers with lower non-performing loans, and they tend to be more loyal customers to banks than men. So when we we know that when women have access and are able to build credit, there's an enormous economic benefit and outcome of that.
0: I read where in Latin America if you close this gender gap in the shortfall to credit, women could add more than 2 trillion to GDP by 2025. That's right. Actually, globally,
1: there's a McKinsey Global Institute study that found eliminating gender disparities in employment sector wages and credit would add an additional $12 to $28 trillion to the global GDP by 2025. There's a real proven correlation between gender-smart enterprises and financial returns. So actually, if there's one more woman in senior management or on a corporate board, there's an association of an 8 to 13 basis points higher return on assets. And when as, as employees, companies that are in the top quartile for gender diversity are 15% more likely to have financial returns above the national standard. There's just a plethora of evidence and data that shows that investing in women is a smart investment. It's not just a just and moral thing to do. It's actually great economics.
0: You mentioned earlier about the work with the private sector that DFC does. Um, How do you work with U.S. companies in terms of them investing in 2X projects?
1: Yeah, actually, we try to lead private sector capital where it otherwise wouldn't go. And, And that's really to achieve development outcomes and economic prosperity. So we identify strategic partnership opportunities to help them and us address the world's intractable challenges. So one example is a partnership that we have between the DFC, Ford Foundation, and City Inclusive Growth. And it's a million dollar, a hundred million dollar loan guarantee facility that enables city to provide early stage financing and local currency to companies to expand their access to products and services for low income communities and emerging markets. And the reason that's important is City may not want to go in alone, if you will, into something like that investment. But through the DFC investment, it enables them to take risks maybe they wouldn't otherwise do or be additive to a DFC investment. We also actually are working with a really unique partnership to address maternal health outcomes and bringing this private sector in for that as well. So. Globally, women are surviving pregnancy and childbirth more than ever, but hundreds of thousands of women around the world still die each year due to complications during pregnancy and childbirth. And more than half of these deaths are actually occurring in sub-Saharan Africa. And frankly, we believe that's unacceptable. So to help solve this challenge and this problem... OPIC, and now DFC, launched an alliance that's called the Financing for Maternal Outcomes Matters Alliance, and we call it MOMS. And it's an initiative that partners... DFC, Merck for Mothers, Credit Suisse, and USAID. And really the goal is to mobilize investment to improve and expand the infrastructure, the services, and access to care in Sub-Saharan Africa to ensure healthy pregnancies and safe delivery for moms and to lay the foundation for lifelong good health. So those are just some of the ways in which we're bringing the private sector along. Again, to address some of the largest challenges that women face primarily
0: around the world. And what's the process for choosing the projects where you invest? Are there criteria that have to be met? Yeah, there are. You know, as always, there's
1: actually a very robust process that our investment officers conduct in selecting projects to invest in. So there are certain thresholds. The DFC invests in transactions between a million dollars and theoretically a billion dollars. So it's a huge amount of money that we invest. So we're not really the very, very bottom of the pyramid investment. We're more missing middle and catalytic investment. And The businesses need to be in place for at least a year. There's a huge due diligence process that's very extensive. And then the internal approval process is quite rigorous as well. So there's a screening process, credit committee process, and then there's an investment committee. And I actually sit on the investment committee, which is really important to ensure that we are looking at all of our transactions through that gender lens. And then the board approves everything that's over $50 million.
0: Is there a typical return on investment for 2X projects? You
1: know, it's hard to say a specific number, but what I will say is we know that when we invest in women, as I've mentioned previously, those investments always have a higher return than typical investments. And so there's a range, but when we do apply our 2X criteria, that is when we are getting these better returns. Now,
0: you recently announced that there's a new $6 billion initiative to catalyze private sector investment and global women's economic empowerment. Can you talk a bit about that? Because as you mentioned, 2X started with a $1 billion goal, and now it's $6 billion in, in investing in the women-led, women-owned, or women-supported enterprises. So can you talk a little bit about that jump in investment and also about why empowering women economically is so important?
1: Yeah. So as I said, you know, we have been able to mobilize over $3 billion in investments over the last two years to economically empower women. So as we were thinking about this next phase and really trying to be bold and audacious and lead others to impact investing opportunities, we wanted to push ourselves. So we set a tremendously audacious goal of $6 billion over the next three years. And I feel like this shows our commitment to and our leadership of gender lens investing. Again, it will take the private sector to come alongside of us and help us mobilize and catalyze additional investment in these amazing opportunities and transactions that we're doing all over the world. And so that's why we set that goal. You know, it's, it's knowing that when we empower women, it changes families and societies. So, We know that arguably the biggest mismarket opportunity is that of women. And like I've said, it yields one of the highest returns on investments. Women owned, women led, women supporting, and those in which offer products and services that benefit women result in stronger families and communities. And there's there's also a correlation between more stable and prosperous countries. And that's because women reinvest 90% of their earnings back into their families and communities. Women who have economic empowerment, their families are healthier, their children are educated, and their families generally are more successful. And we also know the adverse is true. So we've seen this throughout the world when, for instance, health outcomes of children are directly correlated to the health of their mothers. If a woman in the developing world dies before her child reaches the age of five, that child is 10 times more likely to die. But if a girl stays in school, in secondary school, even two years longer, she's more likely to put off getting married. She has fewer children and actually is able to survive childbirth, which relates to the outcomes for maternal and child mortality rates. And there's also actually really interesting social benefits. So when I was working with the US Afghan Women's Council there was a woman from Arzu which is a rug weaving organization in Afghanistan and she told the story that when she when her husband saw how much she was able to bring into the family with regards to supporting economically their family he used to make her do all the household chores as well. So she would have to get off the loom and spend a lot of time making food, cleaning the house, doing all these household chores, helping with the children and helping with whatever he needed. And when he realized the impact that that had, when she had to leave the loom and wasn't paid during those hours, then he started actually doing all of that work at home, recognizing the impact. And it actually enabled him to gain more respect for her and change the dynamic in the family. And I've heard that story over and over around the world from women, that when they're able to contribute and many times they're the breadwinners for the family in these situations, there is a change of dynamic that happens within the home. But we know also the other things, like I said, women reinvest 90% and it increases um, the stability of their families, countries, and communities.
0: Let's talk about a couple of the projects that you're working on right now. There's one where you're helping rural farmers in 21 countries in Africa and Latin America, and more than half of the farmers are women. Tell us about that one.
1: So... You're right, Beverly. Root Capital is an incredible partner of the DFC. So there's a DFC loan guarantee facility that's helping Root Capital sustain livelihoods of more than 1 million farmers. And more than half of those are women in 21 countries in Africa and Latin America, as you've said. So Root Capital is a nonprofit social investor that provides both credit and capacity building to rural agriculture businesses in developing countries. And it's responded very quickly to the pandemic by surveying all of their borrowers about the risks that they face. So these risks include health risks, there's labor shortages and um, market-based shortages or impacts. There's related production disruptions. And there's road closures. So there's a lot of things that these farmers are facing. And so Root Capital is taking a blended finance approach to the COVID-19 pandemic with the help of the DFC financing that we provide. So it provides farmers access to capital through resilient grants. There's virtual trainings that are taking place in crisis management. And they have access to items like masks and soap that are really essential to keeping farmers safe. So they deployed something in Africa called Operation Soap PPE, and it provides grants for gloves, hand-washing stations, soap, masks, and educational materials to local agriculture businesses. And so that's reaching actually almost 200,000 rural farmers It's been really interesting how they've been able to pivot, like I said, and one of the things that they were saying is some of the farmers, because their crops were not getting to market, they actually needed certain different kinds of seeds to feed their own family. So it's become subsistence farming in this period of time. So that's what Root Capital has been able to do. And they're just an incredible partner of ours. We're very proud of the work that we're doing. And we're proud of the impact that they're able to make because of the investment that DFC has made in them.
0: You talk here about the adjustments made because of COVID, which is basically impacted everything globally that we can think of how has it impacted what dfc is investing in if it's impacted it at all has it had an impact on the amount of support that you're able to provide
1: you know actually it's interesting to be at the dfc at this time because where capital is actually fleeing the dfc is going in to accelerate and um, provide liquidity and support to economic activity and development Both for the immediate and then the long term. And that's particularly through loans and small, medium enterprises. So by moving capital into where it's needed most, the agency is able to stabilize industries and secure jobs, speed up private sector recovery. And especially, you know, in emerging markets, this is very critical. And the thing that's been interesting is, I sit on the COVID task force and am part of a group of very dedicated individuals who have really thought through the DFC strategy to supporting our existing clients and those that are in the most need during COVID. And what I'm most proud of is during crises, typically investments in women moves to the back burner, but we have been very forward leaning in this. So we've kept our focus on investing in women, which is important as we continue to look at our transactions. So of the COVID transactions, we've created a rapid response facility that's a $4 billion facility so that we can move more quickly than our typical transactions would do. And the important part of investing in women, so part of that is that there's over 30 transactions that are 2X transactions within our COVID deals. And that's because women are disproportionately impacted by crisis. And the COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated several existing vulnerabilities for women, particularly as it relates to financial hardships, seeking access to capital and health. So what we've found is that women are three times more likely to be responsible for informal unpaid work And home care during this time. And in some places, that's exponentially more than three times. The credit gap and access to capital for women has increased during this. It's been very considerable during the COVID pandemic. So we're looking to identify opportunities that specifically lend to women. And there's been an increase in malnutrition and food security that's threatening populations all over the world. The gender digital divide is very notable. And as everyone knows, that's the world in which we're living. And so it's had a very negative effect on women's ability to receive vital support and services. And that includes critical cash transfers as well as disruptions for women entrepreneurs to transition like to e-commerce or other digital platforms. So what we know is that we have to keep that focus on 2X and on gender investments during this time. And I'm really proud of the work that we have done at the DFC. We've closed for 2X COVID transactions already. There's 30 in the pipeline. And we've really been a leader as it relates to investing in women during this time.
0: That's really an important point that you just made on the connectivity issues and the fact that COVID has forced all of us online. And that's really difficult if you're in an area where connectivity is a problem or non-existent, right? Exactly. It's it's a huge issue. And actually it's interesting because
1: both nutrition and the gender digital divide were things that I wanted to work on right when I got to DFC. So I started my job on March 2nd. And so little did I know that eight days later I would be remotely working. But Some of the first meetings I had my first week at DFC were related to global malnutrition and food insecurity and connectivity. And little did we know that these two issues would be some of the most critical that women are facing during COVID. So we've actually created an MOU with Microsoft in which we're working together to globally on information and communication technology infrastructure projects that will help close that gender digital divide by providing access to internet for unserved or underserved communities. And so that's what's so exciting is to be able to work with some of these private sector partners and we're looking to work with others in this particular space. And then the other is we launched a global nutrition financing alliance. And as I've alluded, malnutrition and food insecurity are critical and growing issues facing the developing world. And COVID-19 has exacerbated the crisis significantly. So it's estimated that 265 million people could be pushed to the brink of starvation by this year's end because of it. And so we've really focused on a strategic partnership, which we announced at our 2X Americas event in August. And that initial partnership is between the DFC and the Eleanor Cook Foundation. And the idea is to catalyze private sector solutions and we're going to mobilize at least $100 million to address this global nutrition crisis and food security crisis. So we're using our distinctive tools, but we want other private sector partners to come into this as well. It's really critical for women and children around the world. And so we want to be part of that solution.
0: And as we wrap up here, if there are companies that currently don't work with DFC, but might hear this and hear something that they want to help you with, how would, how would they do that? Just send me an email. (laughs) No, you can get on dfc.gov. There's an
1: opportunity to submit either proposals or I'm happy, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I've received a number of different business opportunities through that business development opportunities. So I'm very happy to connect with individuals. We're always looking for great partners to come alongside of us to make a more significant difference.
0: Charity Wallace, thank you so much for the work you do. And thank you for being here on the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. Thanks so much, Beverly. I so appreciate it. And thanks to you for joining us. Subscribe to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to good content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Smart Women, and I'm at Beverly Kirk. Thanks for listening. See you next time.